we are continuing our study of experiencing God from Hebrews 10, verses 24 and 25. Now, as of this week, we're done experiencing God, right? That is the correct answer. Thank you. Uh, we are not. Uh, we learned some principles. We learned some... Uh, let's see, methods isn't quite the right word. We learned some ways that we can uh, move forward and constantly experience God, but we're not done. Just because we're done with a 13-week study, this is supposed to be a life-transforming event, not just another study that we do and we we check off of our list. Uh, So we are not done experiencing God, even though we might complete the 13-week study uh, this week. Next week, uh, next week's sermon will be my testimony, our testimony, actually, a little bit of my past, I mean, my my salvation experience, but primarily it will be a uh, testimony of us as a couple, as a ministry couple, uh, and how we uh, experienced God uh, a lot of times in a negative manner, and that was our fault, not God's, but you'll have to come next week and hear more about that. Hebrews chapter 10 verses 24 through 25, those were our memory verses this week. Uh, We're going to have to back up a little bit, let me tell you that. Uh, Many jobs require you to get some ongoing education, some continuing ed, C.E. Use, uh, I think we called it when I was a school teacher. Uh, school teachers do it. Doctors have to do it. Uh, as I understand it, me- mechanics have to do it as well. Um, you, you're constantly educating yourself. You're, you're getting a little more knowledge. Maybe for doctors, I understand, uh, technology changes. You're, you're not doing doctoring the way you always have. You're doing it uh, somewhat differently. Uh, because of just what comes out, what's learned. So you're constantly learning. All jobs benefit from continuing education. Pastors benefit. I go to preaching conferences, try to learn to do it better. I I'd go to, uh, if, if I have the opportunity, theology conferences, just to learn stuff that I don't know. Uh, baristas, we, we want our, our folks at uh, our favorite coffee shop to Learn to make the coffee the right way, uh, whatever the right way is, according to us. Insurance salesmen. Every job looks at their, their job and says, you know, what can I do to, to learn this better, to, to improve my abilities? Well, church is continuing education for believers. We come not just on Sunday morning, but small groups, large groups, one-on-one discipleship, every opportunity we take, we are attempting to grow in our uh, faith. Church is where we do that. We, we, make, we may say, well, I can do that in other places, but it never happens the same way as it does in church, and we're going to see that as we move through this. So to experience God daily, which is the title of our, our message this morning and our, our unit this week, Experiencing God in Your Daily Life. To experience God daily requires regular renewal and fellowship among the body of Christ. And we're going to see that here in Hebrews 10, 
We're going to start in verse 19. Uh, read that with me. Uh, uh, if you don't have your Bible, we're having a little trouble with the screens this morning, so uh, the Bible in front of you should have it uh, in the same, it should be the same version I'm using, Hebrews 10, 19 through 25. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have boldness to enter the sanctuary through the blood of Jesus, he has inaugurated for us a new and living way through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water. Let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering, since he who promised is faithful. And let us watch out for one another to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Now, those last two verses, verses 24 and 25, as I said, were our memory verses, but you can't get to those verses. We can't talk about those verses this morning without understanding the context, which is so often the case as we come to the Bible to study it. We need to at least start in verse 19. In reality, though, this paragraph, verses 19 through 25, is a result, is a culmination of literally everything that has gone before it in Hebrews. The, the, the theology part was uh, the previous section all the way from chapter 1 to uh, 10, 18. And now the author of Hebrews, it doesn't, uh, doesn't state who it is. Some people, say, uh, some people say Paul, some people say Apollos, some people say others. My professor uh, that I had said, Luke, I'm going to go with him because technically he still controls my grade in seminary. So I'm going to uh, uh, go with what he said, since I'm still working on my doctorate. Luke writes here the, the, the culmination, the, all right, now we get practical. Now, how does everything we've talked about affect your daily life? And he begins that in verse 19. Brothers and sisters, there's that word, therefore, so it throws us back to everything that's happened. He says to them, since we have authority. Uh, some translations say, since we have boldness to enter the sanctuary through the blood of Jesus. Well, we see that word since, and we immediately know, okay, since we have something, we, it's a conditional statement. Since this has happened, or if this has happened, then... Well, we, we, we're gearing up already. He says, since we have boldness, since we have authority. We're going to move through these verses really quickly so we can get to verses 24 and 25. He's telling us here that access has already been granted. We have access to the Father. Everything that was blocking us, our sin... Uh, in the spiritual realm. In the physical realm, it was the curtain, the veil that separated the holy place from the holy of holies. Uh, all that has been taken away. The curtain has been torn, he says, figuratively, literally, by the literal tearing of Jesus' flesh. His, he was the curtain, and when his flesh was torn, when he was killed, access to God had been granted. 
We enter the Holy of Holies. We enter our relationship with God, an intimate relationship, a love relationship, as Gilbert talked about this morning, as a result of the cross. We have access to God. We have boldness. We have authority because of the cross. When I was thinking of a picture for this, I was imagining, I've told you all before, we're big fans of the Marvel Universe and we uh, watch uh, the TV show Marvel, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, I, the last couple of episodes in particular, it, it just stuck out to me. They have these, and, and this isn't unique to this TV show, hospitals have this, a lot of places have it, the key card, bleep, you know, you walk up to the door and there's a punch code or whatever, but uh, you don't have to worry about that because you have your, bloop, Walmart has it at, at, the, at the, uh, the pickup when you go and pick up your groceries, when they deliver your groceries to your car, which is the most wonderful thing that has ever happened, um, salvation, pick up at Walmart. I mean, let's, let's, not the most wonderful, second most wonderful thing that's ever happened. To get back in, they have a little key card. I, I want the job just so I can have a key card. Go bloop, the door opens. The door opens all by itself. Bloop. That's access. They have what they need to get through the door. They have authority. I can't do that. I can take my license out. I can take my debit card out. I can take my NRA card out. I can take my uh, whatever card I have in my wallet. I can scan that thing a million times. It's never going to let me in because I don't have authority. I don't have access. We have authority. We have access because of what Jesus did to us. So since we have authority, the writer says, and not just a, a, a authority, but verse 21 goes on and it says, And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, this is what the first ten or nine and a half chapters of Hebrews have been talking about, the, the high priestly function of Jesus, him taking the place of the high priest in heaven right now. Since we have this high priest, since we have an advocate, See, Jesus, from his position right now, defends our position. I thought about, okay, what if my key card doesn't work? I walk up to the door, bloop, or it goes, eh, eh, What am I going to do? I can't get in the door. I, I don't have the authority. I don't have access. Well, then you call what? You're the supervisor. Hey, I can't get in. My key card's not working. Oh, well, He's with me. She, she's with me. Yes, I know who that. Let them in. Bloop. They have a, the uh, the authority. They have. They are the advocate to get me in. That is what Jesus is. His position. Now we don't ever have to worry about our key card not functioning. That's not what I'm getting at. But we have the key card. But we also have the person in charge, the head. I mean, if if we go back to my Marvel's Agents of Shield TV TV show, uh, Agents of Shield TV show. At the moment, and for the past few seasons, we've never known who's quite in charge. If you keep up with the Marvel Universe, you're going, oh yeah, I know exactly what he's talking about. And if you don't, you're going, what the heck is he talking about? Bear with me. You've never known exactly who's in charge anymore. It used to be uh, uh, the guy with one eye, who's Samuel L. Jackson. Nick Fury. It used to be Nick Fury, and then it was Phil Coulson. And now, you know, who, who's in charge? You never know. Who do we call? Well, the army's after him. This, we never have that situation in the Christian life, we always know who our advocate is. 
We always know who is in charge, and he is always standing at the Father, making intercession for us. Jesus verifies our access. Because what happens is not that our key card doesn't work. It's that we walk to the door, we go, bloop, and the devil says, you don't belong in there. You can't go in there. I've got you. I, I have you. You're, 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 you're mine. You, you, you know what you did. You can't go into the presence of God because of, of all those things you've done. He accuses. He accuses. But we have an advocate that says, nope, he's got the key card. It works every time because I have washed him in the blood. I have covered him. And we're going to see that as we move through. Then after this, since we have authority, since we have an advocate, three imperatives come up in verse 22, verse 23, and verse 24. The first imperative is let us draw near with faith. See, we are fulfilling the demands of corporate faith, hope, and love. Does that sound familiar to you? Faith, hope, and love, the kind of the, 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 the trinity uh, of characteristics of the church. We can fulfill those demands of corporate faith and love since we have authority, since we have an advocate, and then he breaks them down. First of all, let us draw near with faith. In verse 22, he says, with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water. Let us draw near to deepen our relationship with God. We draw near to him so we know him better. We love him more. We are changed from the inside out. Our, as our relationship increases, so does our sanctification. So does our holiness. We deepen our relationship with him, and we can do that. We can approach God to deepen our relationship with him. We can draw near to him by faith because this verse says we are purified we have a parallel description our hearts are sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water we are purified we are holy we still sin yes but once we have accepted christ once he has cleansed us then we before the father have a right standing already we are clean we are purified we are saved. See, we can draw near to God with faith because we have the authority, we have our key card, we have our access, and we have the advocate that says, yes, he is mine. Yes, the accuser is wrong. The accuser is doing just what he does. Let him in. The second imperative is let us hold on to hope. In verse 23, let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering, since he who, is, who promised is faithful. Paul put it this way, I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. I know who, we know whom we have believed. We know that our faith is in a person. Our faith is not in circumstances. But our faith is in a person who has the power and the ability and has made the promise to keep our faith until that day. What does that mean? That means that once I've placed my faith in him, my eternity is secured. But what if I sin? No, your sins are forgiven. The sins you committed prior to salvation and the sins that you will commit after salvation. 
I don't know when I'm going to die. I'm planning on living until I'm 108. Every sin I commit from now until the day I die at 108 is already forgiven. That's pretty cool. I like that idea. No, that doesn't give us the opportunity. Oh, I can sin all I want to. It's all forgiven. No, go back and read Romans. Do we sin all the more so grace can abound? Oh, heavens, no, let it not be. Let us strive for our sanctification and be perfect as our heavenly Father is perfect. But we know that he is holding our salvation secure despite what we might do between now and then. See, we have the authority, the access, we have the key card, but we also have an advocate that stands above and says, yes, he is mine. Yes, I know he sinned. Yes, I know he is still a fallen creature. He is not perfect. He is not glorified, but I am sanctifying him as he moves through life. And then we get to our focal passage this morning. Verses 24 and 25. The third uh, imperative, the third let us. Let us watch out for one another to provoke love. Let us provoke love. Watch out. That phrase there carries with it not just we are, uh, you know, kids running through the hall, uh, or through the house, and they almost knocked over, knock over a, a, a priceless heirloom. Watch out! No, it's not that sort of watch out. This watch out is thoughtful attention. This is deep concern. This is studying one another. We're looking at each other intently. We are gazing at one another. We are examining one another. This is not the preacher looking at all y'all. This is everybody looking at everybody. One another tells us that this is mutual responsibility on our part. This is the calling of the church. You watch out for the other, and the other watches out for you. We gaze at each other, thoughtful attention, but deep heartfelt concern i want my brother and sister to be edified to be exhorted to move from sin to not sin to be able to leave behind uh the 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 old way the old trappings throw off those uh hindrances that so often encumber us that is the the message here of hebrews and it is our responsibility among the church body to do that if the back of my head itches my hand scratches it if i get a a, a splinter in this finger the hand goes and pulls that splinter out. That is the body working together to fix the issues of the body. That is the image of the church that we discussed two weeks ago. I've lost track of time now. Uh, that's what we talked about. And he says, let us provoke. That's, that's just, a, just an uncomfortable word anyway. Uh, uh, Luke, why didn't you use uh, encourage? Why didn't you use... Um, some other word that sounded more positive. As a matter of fact, this is a very negative term. It's almost always used in, in a negative situation or a negative way. The, the translation would be good, and some of your translations may say spur. Now, I'm, I'm no cowboy. Um, I, I know you look at me and think, well, clearly he is. No, I'm really not. Um, I have ridden horses. I've never uh, owned a set of spurs. Um, but I, have, I grew up going to rodeos, 
not being in them, in the stands. And, and, and the Bronx Busters, uh, I, I, we've got a rodeo, I don't see, I know we've got a rodeoer in the church, um, he's probably out rodeoing, actually. Uh, the, the Bronx Busters wear these big spurs, and they dig those spurs into that horse to get him to jump, to, to do what? To spur him on. That is not comfortable for the horse. That horse isn't saying, yeah, I got an itch right there. Could you spur? Mm-hmm, thank you, that feels so good. That's not what he's doing. He's trying to get rid of that guy. Quit kicking me in, those, in the ribs with those sharp, pointy things on your boots. Even if you don't wear spurs, if you ride a horse, it doesn't take much to get a horse from a, a, a walk to a trot. And I've had some uh, negative situations occur when I did that before. And Etta's going to fall out of the pew right now laughing, remembering this one particular time. You'll have to ask her about it. She loves to tell that story. Uh, you don't even have to have spurs, but when you're riding a horse, just a little, just a, just a little kick. It doesn't take much. Whoop, and they, they go on. You want a little faster? Kick a little harder. Spur. This negative image of what we are supposed to do to each other. It's not always comfortable. It doesn't always feel good. But the positive result makes it worth, uh, worth it. We are to, what the author is saying here, we are to make each other uncomfortable with our disobedience. We don't like that. Let's be honest. Y'all don't like it when I preach something that makes you uncomfortable with your disobedience. Some of you do. Some of you, oh, I've not been to church if I hadn't had my, st- my toes stepped on. Some of you are like that, but be honest. Most of you are like, okay, after a while, you get tired of having your toes stepped on every week. How much worse in it when the person sitting down at the end of the pew from you makes you feel uncomfortable for your disobedience? Oh, we sure don't like that. Don't, oh, I know where you were last weekend. Why are you telling me something? You know, we, we've got our, we got our list. We've got our, we've got our issues. And yet, that is exactly what we are supposed to do. Now, we speak the truth in love. That that's, should be clear. We've talked about that before. Because what are we provoking one another onto? Love and good works. Love is that internal attitude and, and spiritual disposition. So we are to spur, to goad, to prod people on in a negative fashion, the positive, toward the positive result of love. Well, that, that takes the grace of Jesus, doesn't it? For, for one of you to be able to tell the other one to spur, to prod, to provoke that person from disobedience and to do it in a loving fashion so that the end result is love and good works. Easier said than done. Good works would be the outward, tangible expression of what is going on on the inside. If internally we love, externally should come good works, and it is our responsibility as a church to provoke each other to do that. Let me ask you a question, church. How are you going to do that with each other if you are not with each other? Church, we must come together as a body, as a community of faith, as a group of believers, so that we can. And just in case you're thinking, well, he didn't cover that. Oh, yeah, he did. Verse 25. How can we do this? Let us provoke 
toward love and good works, he says. That's the imperative. Then he has two participial phrases, two ing words that, that uh, bolster provoking, the spurring. I, maybe it's the, the two boots on each side kicking us in the ribs to get us going. He says uh, we provoke love in two ways. First way that we do that is to not neglect to gather. Not neglecting to gather. That word neglecting there actually uh, means more like deserting. I don't mean eating something after your meal. I mean leaving, abandoning, leaving in a lurch. That phrase, folks, when you don't take part in the opportunities to, to grow in your faith, to serve, to, to be a part of what the church is doing, you leave the rest of the body in a lurch. When you don't attend, you are harming the body. You are abandoning the body. Uh, imagine if, if we had the ability, and we don't, but if we had the ability to leave body parts places so that you know we as a church have a, a foot race to run, but the leg just didn't show up that day. The leg had something to better do. The leg was on the beach uh, getting a tan. Uh, how are we going to run the foot race? Part of the body did not show up. You left the rest of the body in a lurch. You abandoned, you, had, you deserted the body. We provoke each other to love first by not doing that. Here's the negative example. We don't neglect to gather, whether it's large group or small group or one-on-one -on -one or mission opportunities or fellowship opportunities, all a part of what we do as a church in order to disciple believers. And as we see here in this passage, in what is the early church, Hebrews was probably written in the 60s or so, somewhere around in there, 65, 66 A.D. So the church had been going for about 30 years. And already, he says, it's the habit of some to neglect to gather together. It was already the habit. You would think, I mean, these are people that very likely knew Jesus there are probably disciples that had spent the 120 that were there with him at the, at the end. These are people that, that saw him. And already they are neglecting to gather together. How quickly we lose the joy of that fellowship and, and, and make it a... Uh, um, well, lost the word. Option. Make it optional in our lives instead of making it a commitment that when the body gathers, we will be there. And then the second way we provoke love is to encourage each other. We gather together, but I'm going to ask you again, how do we encourage each other if we're not with each other? How do we encourage the brothers and sisters if we are not with the brothers and sisters? So we encourage each other. Your attendance in activities of the church is automatically an encouragement. Just your presence here. If you don't believe it, think about how you feel when you come in on a Sunday morning and it's a, 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 a spring break or summer. It's, it's a typical weekend holiday where families may uh, go somewhere for a trip or something like that. And you walk in here on a Sunday morning and you, it's kind of thin. And you go, wow, 
It's kind of thin this morning. But think about how you feel when we have a, 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 maybe a special service or a, a, a holiday or just a, a Sunday where, for whatever reason, everybody came and, and the church is full. And, and how do you feel? Wow, look at everybody this morning. See, you are encouraged, and so am I, by the very presence of believers. But it's deeper than that. It, there, there's more than just your presence, just your being here. This implies exhortation. It's active involvement. You aren't just here, but you are taking part. There's an exchange. There's a give and take. You are doing your part as the body. Maybe, the, the, maybe we're at a foot race, and all the parts showed up, but the legs here but ain't interested in taking part. I'm not going to win a race having to drag the leg that won't do what it's supposed to. Yet that's what we have sometimes as a church body when we show up, but we don't give, we don't take part, we don't exhort each other, we don't we aren't actively involved. And as we move on, the author says, he says, all the more as you see the day approaching, encourage each other, and all the more as you see the day approaching, because it gets harder and more necessary as time goes on. As we get to that day, that day when Jesus comes back, it will get more and more difficult for us to attend, to be a part we will be weeded out, the, 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 the dead branches will be pruned, and it will be harder and harder. It will be more difficult, more dangerous for us to meet together, and we are to intentionally be a part, exhort one another, love, provoke, prod one another as we get closer to that day. So gathering together as a church is our continuing education. It is how we get those CEUs, uh, those continuing education units. It's how we grow as believers and we grow as a body. You cannot do it any other way. We meet Christ in a special way when we meet corporately. Uh, the, the, the big word uh, for that for you, if you're interested, is ontology. I don't have that up there. It's not that big a deal. But it's the, the being, the, the presence of Christ. Christ is here in a way, as a group, that he, is not he, with, that, that he, that he isn't when it's just you. Christ never leaves us. No, I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is we experience him in a deeper way. We experience him in a different way as a body meeting together than we do as individuals. We worship God more intensely corporately. That's doxology. That's praise. That's, that's us as a, uh, a couple of hundred voices lifted to God in praise. It's great if you sing worship songs in your car, but it's not the same as singing worship with the body of believers. It is a different type of worship. It affects us differently. It is more intense when we do it corporately. We learn about God more fully when we come together corporately. This would be theology, theological aspect of coming together. We learn about him more fully. You can go home and you can read your Bible by, your, by yourself. 
and you can learn about God. But we know from the Bible that iron sharpens iron. We come together as a group and we discuss the, the, the Bible. We discuss difficult topics and we keep each other on track. I read the Bible and I came up with this and everybody in the room says, you're nuts. That ain't at all what that says. What were you eating that day? That is not what the Bible says. We, we redirect each other. We keep each other from going off the theological rails. We do that as a group corporately. And then we develop what we talked about this morning, faith, hope, and love more completely corporately. This would be the psychological aspect of worship, not psychology like psychologist psychology but development of the soul we experience faith in a group in ways we cannot experience faith on our own when we hear of how God is working in someone else's life and they are in a situation where they can only believe they can only have faith and we see that faith come to fruition come to fruit in their lives we celebrate and we learn something about faith by watching them and they learn something about faith by watching us Hope. We place our hope, you know, as an individual on my own. I can read the Bible, I can have hope, and I can say I have confident assurance, confident expectation that this will happen. But when I hear my brothers and sisters who have also uh, banded with me to have that same confident assurance, we strengthen our hope together and then love. Love is very difficult to have and to grow and to experience all by ourselves. Love is something that very naturally has to be given away and has to be reciprocated. And we do that as we come together corporately. We grow in love. Faith, hope, and love develop more completely when we come together as a church. So what does that mean, though, for experiencing God in your daily life? Well, it requires regular, meaningful participation with the body of Christ. What happens in here on Sunday morning, what happens in the classrooms before worship on Sunday morning, what happens at e-groups Sunday nights or Tuesday mornings or fellowships during the week or one-on-one discipleship that goes on, all of those opportunities, all of those methods of drawing closer to God affect our daily life. We are more able to lead our families. We are more able to experience God in the workplace and, and live an exemplary life there. We are more able to go to school and stand up to what will be pressures to leave the faith if we have spent time together as a corporate body of believers. And without that, we cannot. How can we know that's the case? How can we be sure of that? We go back to the beginning. Since we have the authority, the access to God, and since we have an advocate, the ability transferred to us from Christ, we can do these things. We can experience God every day, wherever we are, at any time, because of these things. And then, finally, though, we understand or we need to understand that experiencing God in your daily life begins with and is only possible with a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. See, all of this that I've talked about, this corporate body, this being sprinkled clean, holding on to a confession of hope, uh, uh, a promise of faithfulness, drawing near 
to the Lord, watching out for one another. None of that is possible without the beginning. And the beginning is salvation through Jesus Christ alone. If you don't have that, none of this other stuff makes sense. Not only does it make, not make sense, it's just not possible. So while the first 30 minutes may have been for believers, man, woman, if you've not trusted Jesus Christ, this next few minutes is for you. For you to experience God, you need to understand a few things. First of all, you need to understand that God is holy and just and will judge sin. He is perfect and he cannot be in the same place as sin. He will not allow sinful creatures, sinful people into his heaven. So there, there's just no way. Your eternity is secured because we are willfully sinful and fallen. Willfully, we do it. You say, I don't intend to sin. Yeah, you do. And if you've done it once, you might, have, might as well have done it a billion times. We are willfully sinful and fallen, and our, our destiny is secure. We are destined for everlasting torment and judgment because God will not be uh, around sin. He will not let sinful, fallen humanity into his heaven. So there's hell that he will send us to, that we will send ourselves to by not accepting Christ if we don't. But it is prepared for the devil and his angels, and that's where we will go as well because of our, sin, our sinful nature, but Jesus. Jesus is the answer to that. Jesus is the antidote to that. Jesus is the perfect son of God, the, the high priest that, that made the one-time sacrifice Hebrews tells us about that we just didn't have time to talk about this morning. He took our place and our sin on the cross. That was my cross to be crucified on, that was my sin that would have put me there, but he took both the cross and my sin. He took my punishment and he took my evilness. He died for you, he died for me, he died for everyone. There is no one for whom he did not die. There is no one whose sin disqualifies them from salvation. There is no one who is too far away from Christ to come to him. There is nothing you have to give up to come to Christ. Come to Christ. He'll clean up your life. Don't wait until, well, maybe. Uh, make your decision today. Y'all know today's tax day, right? April 15th. Well, we get a reprieve. Because it's a holiday, we get to wait till tomorrow. But, because tomorrow is a Monday, we get to wait till Tuesday, right? We got two days extra. Woohoo! Folks, when it comes to salvation, today's the due date. You're not guaranteed tomorrow. You're not guaranteed two days extra. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day you need to make your decision to repent of your sin. Place your faith in Jesus Christ for salvation by believing in him, by trusting in him. And then live for him. Turn around. Give your life to him. And let him do some incredible things in your life. Then you will begin to experience God in your daily life. Pray with me this morning. God, thank you that as believers we can experience you every day. That it can be a 
continual love relationship with you. God, that you have provided the way since we have access, since we have an advocate, we can approach boldly, we can have uh, hope because of our confession, and we can experience love as we provoke each other as in the body towards sanctification. God, we can have all those things as believers if we will just put our nose to the grindstone, put our feet to the path, if we would just do the work. God, may we do the work since we have all we need. Let us do it. But God, for someone here who's never trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior and the, all, the whole topic seems foreign of, of experiencing God in a daily life, how does that work? Lord, I pray that you would impress on their hearts and draw them this morning that they would trust Jesus as their Savior, that they would have that first experience with you so that they can then experience you uh, from now until eternity. God, I ask that you would work on every heart here. Let no one leave here changed as we have studied your word, as we have opened your word, as you have spoken through your word. May we all depart from this place closer to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So what's your decision this morning? How should you respond? Do you need to accept Christ? Is that a decision you need to make? Maybe you need to uh, be baptized like Grayson was this morning. You followed Jesus, but you need to take that first step of obedience. Maybe you need to join our church. Maybe, believer, you need to come to these prayer rails and say, you know what, I need to experience faith, hope, and love in my life like I haven't before. Whatever your decision this morning is, uh, Tom will be over in the right-hand corner. Uh, Tom's not down here. Jordan will be over in my right-hand corner, your left. I'll be in this corner. We will pray for you, whatever we need. But as we sing this morning, you stand and you do business with God.